welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I am delighted to welcome Heather War, train driver for Freightliner and also passionate advocate for equality, diversity and inclusion, mental health and rail safety. Heather is a real character and a big personality in the railway family who in in the last couple of years has risen to prominence with her uh, keynote speeches for um, events in the UK and internationally um, and her appearance at COP26. Welcome to Heather War. Heather War, train driver extraordinaire from Freightliner. A very, very warm welcome to Intuitive Insights Virtual Couch. I'm so delighted that you agreed to join me um, on the podcast. I'm over the moon, Heather. We've known each other for, I think, probably only about two or three years since Mm -hmm. we first had a conversation. Um, And you are just one of the most interesting and inspirational folk that I've come across. So the opportunity to sit here and just to have this opportunity to ask you questions and hear more about your your journey um, feels like a massive privilege. So a huge thank you from me to you for agreeing I'm, I'm to not, do I'm it. I'm not going to thank you for, for, for that introduction because that, that's just, that's setting me up to crash and burn <laughs> massively now. <laughs> but we know you're not going to. You know now, because I know you've watched a few, the, the kind of the format of the, of the Intuitive Insights pod is that I talk to people from the transport industry about their careers, about their journey from what made them join the industry in the first place to where they are today. And they share some really interesting kind of lessons along the way. But as you and I have said, this is so much more than a career story. This is your journey. It's kind of right. It's about you as a person rather than the job title of train driver at Freightliner, which in itself is really interesting. You are leading the way um, in terms of um, giving giving other females that's the, the kind of you've got to see it to be it. So you're being a fantastic role model in that respect, as well as many other respects. I'm going to shut up and hand the baton across to you to say, Heather, tell us your story. Tell us who you are, where you've come from, what you're doing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved that we're talking journeys rather than careers, because having seen some of your previous podcasts, you know, that, that's quite a, a, a billing to, to live up to with some of your previous guests. But, you know, journeys are important and and, and it's a big part of, of who I am and what's made me. And I think, um, you know, we've, we've just seen what's happened this week with the quite amazing English Lionesses. So I think it's quite fitting for me to start my journey as as a primary school little girl who just loved football. That's all I wanted to do was play football. And I could never understand why it was okay for me to play with the boys in the playground. And I would always be one of the first picked um, to play outside in the playground. And come Saturday, all the boys would go off to play for the school. And, and I wasn't allowed. And I would have given anything to pull on that strip and represent my primary school. Yeah. I wasn't allowed. And, you know, the sad thing is it, it wasn't the kids that laughed at me. 
it was the adults that, you know, not many, but one or two that just made you feel that that bit abnormal yes. for wanting to do something like that. And um, and my mum obviously sensed, you know, a bit of a void that needed filling. And for reasons only she will ever know, and Nina, if you laugh at this point, this recording might end, she decided that that void might be best filled with her daughter learning ballet dancing. Because clearly, Nina, you're doing well. You're doing well. Stick with it. Because clearly, I had the grace and physique to be a ballet dancer. I have no idea what possessed her. Anyway, I remember, I will always remember the day she went out to go and buy my, my, my ballet shoes. And she came home. And instead of ballet shoes, she'd actually went out and bought me my first ever pair of football boots. Wow. Because my mum had decided that if her daughter wants to play football, her daughter will damn well play football. But we got to secondary school and it was no different. Girls still weren't allowed to play football. And this time I didn't have the same group that I'd had in primary, so football was not not an option. My mum decided otherwise. She took it upon herself. She phoned every single leisure centre in the whole of Edinburgh and demanded that they put on something for girls. And finally, one did agree. They put on a big um, girls' football day. And, you know, it was a massive success. About 30 girls turned up to it, just from the local area. And um, and I was picked up by a women's football team that day. I was 11 years old, didn't even know they existed. And um, to cut a long story short, that, that decision meant that in my teenage years, I got to go and play football in Italy, in Spain. I got some of the most amazing experiences in my life that, that will, will remain with me forever. And, and that was because my mum decided that that was what was going to happen. Yeah. And you've got to remember, you know, we, we had no money. We came from a really poor, poor part of Edinburgh and I've no idea how she did it, but she did. She got me to the football training. And even when I decided that I was going to start up the first of our girls football team at secondary with the help of some teachers, right. my mum went out and bought the strips. Now, this is a woman that used to walk six miles home from work mm. just so she could afford to buy my brother and I a cone. Right. So money was tight. Yeah. But but she went and did that. And um and it eventually led to me being invited to the, the regional council in Edinburgh and invited to start helping them create a girls' football tournament for, for schools and stuff. Right. And you know, and, and, and it's all it's all great stuff and it sounds great, but but when I look back at that time, there's two things that stand out for me. And one of them is that unconsciously, somewhere in there, my mum taught me a very, very valuable lesson that's, that's stuck with me. And that is never to accept barriers yeah. that I can be or do anything that I want. But the other thing that strikes me from back then is that there was two things massively missing from me in what I was doing and that was passion and anger. I did some good things that people benefited from, but I had no anger and I had no passion. And those things are really, really important because I was never angry at what I missed out on. I just accepted it. And I think when people start to accept injustices and prejudices, it's very dangerous. It's not, it's not a good position to be in. And I'm going to come back to those later if we've got time yeah. because anger and passion are... Um, are really, really key to my journey. 
because I think it's important to remember that why you do something is every bit, if not more so important than actually what you do. Yeah. It's not just about the outcomes, it's about why you did it in the first place. So um, moving away from, from football for a moment, but we've all returned. You'll come back. Um, I moved um, to Royal Mail. My first, my first real job was with Royal Mail. And um, ironically, you might want to quiz me on this later, I don't know, but ironically, I had two job offers. I had a full-time position in the railway or I had a part-time position with Royal Mail. Mm. And I chose to take the part-time job with Royal Mail. Um, having made that decision, I was very, very fortunate that just a few months after starting, Royal Mail started their first kind of ever trainee management yeah. you know, course. Yeah. And a, and a really wonderful manager at the time that I had put me forward for it, which was incredible considering I just, just started. Yeah. It was really intensive, 12-week course, really intensive eight-hour assessments at the end of it, and only two of us passed it. And, um, and in passing, I think I became, at the time, the youngest operational manager ever in Royal Mail. And uh, the reward for that was that I got slung into a delivery office managing 100 postmen. Right. And at our best, we only ever had two postwomen. And um, I, I was at Royal Mail for 10 years. I did a, a lot of roles. I did a lot of things that I'm proud of. You know, I had a good career there. But there's two words that are vastly missing from that time, and that's diversity and inclusion, Yeah. Um, which is probably what, you know, I'm best known for in, in the railway at the moment. Mm-hmm. I would have run a mile if you'd mentioned those words to me as a manager in Royal Mail. And I think that's really important for people to appreciate that when you hear somebody talking about that, it's not somebody banging on, that actually to be somebody in a minority, to stand up and draw more attention to yourself is the hardest thing yeah. in the world. Who wants to be the woman talking about equality? Uh-huh. You know, and, and whether you're a minority based on your gender or your sexuality or your ethnicity, you just want to fit in. You know, yeah. and the way to fit in is not to stand out. So genuinely, as a frontline worker, as a manager, I did not want to know about diversity and inclusion. Uh-huh. Somebody else can give that brief. Keep yeah. it away from me. It's hard enough fitting in and being accepted and being respected without starting to mention those words. Yeah. So I avoided it. So when I left Royal Mail after 10 years, I've done a lot of things, but diversity and inclusion but were not one of them. And um, and you'll laugh at this, you know, that the first time that I realised that that it might be not the job for me, and I'll always remember this. I was sitting watching Scotland v England men's, and it was a big, big tournament. It was the Euros, or it was the Worlds, and it was a playoff. And I'll never forget Scotland had actually done quite well in the first leg, right. and this was a return at Wembley. As always, we were expected to get beat. As always, we raised our game for England, but we're actually playing really well. And I'll never forget, near the end of the match, Christian Daly of Scotland had a point-blank header. Couldn't miss. This much away from the goal. Couldn't right. miss. If he scored, Scotland were through. Knocked out England. Everything. Everybody around me were already celebrating. And for one slight split moment, I thought, oh my God, nobody's coming to work tomorrow. And I panicked. And in that, in that millisecond of thinking, how am I going to cover these duties? How am I going to do this? Somehow David Seaman, the England goalkeeper, pulled off the greatest save I've ever seen. 
and we didn't score and we didn't win and England won and we went out. Until the day I die, I will blame myself for Scotland <laughs> going out that night because it was my moment of doubt. And I thought, do you know what? This isn't the job for me. Yeah. I'm the, out of here. The mind is a very powerful thing, Heather. So, yeah, I think there was definitely some vibes going across to David Seaman and his big gloves. They're not helping here, Nina. <laughs> like, I've got the weight of a nation's <laughs> disappointment on my shoulders already. It was me. It was me that did it. Oh, my goodness. So, um, so I did. I, I ended up, you know, fast forward to 2006 and I, and I'm, I became a train driver with, with ScotRail. And it's funny because everybody assumes that it was my dad's influence that eventually led to me joining the railway. My dad was in the railway for 48 years, right. um, but he actually died before I joined. Um, and I had never shown the slightest bit of interest in the railway. Mm. I had a love of the railway because we had free passes. So when I was young, my mum used to take me about and, you know, we used to go different places that other kids wouldn't get to go and see. So I loved the railway. But as a career, it didn't interest me. And I think what kind of stuck out for me, I remember again playing football and you're in the changing rooms and everybody's moaning about their job because that's what we do, you know, yeah. in Britain. We all moan about our jobs. Yeah. Everybody's got the worst job in the world. Everybody moaned about their job apart from this one woman. Never moaned, loved her job. And she was a train driver in right. Edinburgh Waverley. Wow. I always remembered that and it planted a seed that, she always loved her job. So when the advert came up, um, I went for it and I, and I was really, really lucky. I got in um, to Yoker Depot with ScotRail. Yeah. And I stayed with ScotRail for 12 years. Loved train driving. It was everything I hoped it would be. Um, but again, diversity and inclusion were not words that, that I associated with being friends of mine. And I, and I really did disassociate from then again. If if you asked me then if I was trying to fit in, I would have said no, because I really did find that I fitted in in the railway, in the railway environment. But it wasn't, it's not until I look back that I can see just how how much probably I wasn't fitting in as much as, as I believed it. And and three things changed that have basically led to to you not getting me to shut up these days, as you can tell. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> So the first thing, I joined Freightliner, January 2019. And Freightliner were kind of the first, the first company ever to say, what is your perspective as a woman? Okay. And, and, and it made me think, and I'm like, why are you even asking me that? You know, And, and I've been very lucky that, that because train drivers have a very unique position and a very unique training and very unique job, train drivers rarely associate you as being a female train driver you're just a train driver okay you know you are the job and that is that and that's a great thing mm. so it was the first time I'd ever been asked about that and they took me to the women in rail awards in 2019 and and prior to that I would have been one of the people saying you know how can you talk about inclusion and then have a women's event or or an event for BAME or yeah. that that wouldn't have registered I would have been one of those people and yet it, it was kind of mind-blowing for me. It was a real light bulb moment because you're suddenly in a room full of strong, powerful, successful women who aren't hiding who they are. And it's not just women, but for the first time, you're in a room of predominantly yeah. women. The balance is different, isn't it? Yeah. And, and suddenly, 
without realising it, you're being yourself mm. and you're seeing sides of yourself that, that you've never seen for a long, long time. And it's not until that moment that you realise just how much you've been unconsciously conforming and adapting in all your previous careers. Yeah. And it was it was a real light bulb moment for me. And, and it's it's when you're in that situation that you think that's why these events are important. Mm. You know, that's why it's really, really important that people can be around other people like them, because that's the only way you can actually find the strength in being yourself. And yeah. then you take that back to the workplace and you go back to the workplace a bit stronger and a bit more confident. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when the second thing happened. I went back to the workplace a bit stronger and a bit more confident. And I, and I found social media and I kind of threw out a couple of wee pieces of, you know, of my opinion and stuff. And, you know, the women of the railway, not just the women, but specifically at this time, the women of the railway absolutely astounded me because I have never been in an industry where so many successful women are so willing to throw the ladder down yeah. for others. Yeah. And, you know, people like Lorna MacDonald and, and Kendra Island at, at, at Hitachi mm. or, you know, the women in rail teams and Lucy Pryor. And if, if I'm not mistaken, very, very noticeably, a certain Nina Lockwood <laughs> at that time and unbelievably took the time to phone me. I was nobody. I tweeted a couple of times took the phone the, the, the time to phone me and say get yourself onto LinkedIn you've got something worth saying yeah. I think you should say it to a wider audience mm. and that that blew me away to have that kind of support and 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 it's an industry that I think is quite unique in the fact that if you've got something worth saying people will support and encourage you to see it yeah and that's really really special for this yeah. industry and something that I hope we never ever lose and that we really recognize and, and the third thing, the third and last thing, but the, the, the biggest thing for me is that um, I watched that bloody interview that Natasha Hansen gave when she was the director of DRS at the time. And her passion just blew me away because she believed in every single thing she was doing. She believed in every word she uttered in that interview. And it just came pouring out. And, and it goes back to what we were saying, that if why you're doing something will ultimately affect how successful it is. Yeah. And if you, you and I have heard Alex Hines talking about bringing your true self to work, and, and if you hear David Horn at LNER talking about mental health and well-being, these are people that aren't trying to sound good or not trying to tick any boxes. Uh-huh. These are people that passionately believe in what they're saying. Because they felt it, they've seen it, they've seen the benefits. And as outsiders, you can tell the difference. Yeah. So watching that interview, you know, it, it, it just brought it home to me. I remember watching one of your interviews with um, Marie Cliff. Yeah. And she said that, that the person that she admired had said that the goal is to have people who would walk over hot coals for you. Mm. And in that moment, I was I was ready to up sticks and... If Natasha Hansen was the manager at McDonald's, I want to work there. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will wash her windows. I'll make her tea. She brought that passion. And yeah. we'll go back to the start when I said I didn't have passion and I didn't have anger. Yeah. The passion was there. And when you hear somebody talking about, you know, Natasha brought in hybrid working long before there was a pandemic. Mm. 
because she thought it was the right thing to do for her business and for yeah. bringing bringing it for the people. That matters. Why mm-hmm. you've done something matters. You've done it because it was the right thing to do, not because you've had to do it. And just so many things that just resonated with me, you know, and I was really interested. So again, she was one of the people like yourself who reached out and said, I think you've got a voice. I think you should use it. So I kind of, I reached out to her and I said, I don't really get it. I don't get diversity and inclusion. It's scary. I don't understand it all. And and she was great. She took the time to educate me. You know, she educated me on why visibility was important. Um, and I think most importantly, she added that final ingredient. She added anger. She made me read Invisible Woman. Right. Okay. And yeah. If if there's one thing that, that people take from this today, man or woman, whatever your background, you need to read that book uh-huh. because it brought the anger without a doubt. But more importantly, it just made me aware of if I didn't know as a woman how many ways I was being disadvantaged in the world, how the hell can we get angry when men don't get it? Exactly. Yeah. Do you know? God, I completely and then, agree. And, and then it made me realise that if I didn't see these things that were affecting me, what else am I not seeing? You know, what what are people who are, you know, visually impaired, what are they experiencing in life? What are people in wheelchairs experiencing? What are people with ethnic minorities? What what are they experiencing? It really, really opens your eyes to the fact that we create worlds based on what we need. And the reality is for us and our industry and most of the world around us is that it was created by men, so mm-hmm. they've made it work for themselves. Mm-hmm. And and you can't fail to read that book and not get angry that you're more likely to die in a car crash because you're a woman, because nobody thought to use female crash test dummies because women yeah. don't drive cars. Yeah. Or, you know, cancer treatments that were delayed because nobody thought to actually check out a female anatomy for, yeah. for drugs that affected females. And and this isn't things that just make women angry, you know. This is this is people's mums and daughters and sisters and friends, you know. It makes us all angry, and I think it's really important that that we learn the lessons of of walking in the shoes of other people. Yeah. And um, and that's where my journey brought me to because you can't achieve that without diversity and inclusion. Mm. Mm. You need you need to create an environment where you have those differences of experiences. You know, and it's not good enough to stick one woman in a boardroom with 12 other men because that woman will just end up conforming and adapting or, or one person of, of a certain ethnic minority and, and throw them and say, well, we've been diverse. You know, we, we were at that, the, the, the podcast that you did recently where diversity is a fact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's my journey. That's where I got to today that I've realised that, you know, it's not about blaming anybody about the environment we're in. But as a woman, it's time that I, I need to get angry. I need to understand that I'm not doing this to upset the people around me that I work with. Yeah. I'm not doing this to create attention, God forbid. I'm doing it because every time you do it, you affect somebody that's watching and, yeah. and you, you give strength to somebody else that's watching, just like the Nina Lockwoods and the Natasha Hansons and the Alex Hines have done for me. We all need to, to speak that and we can only do that by sharing our own our own experiences and our own journeys. And um and that's what I've started doing. And it's it's nice, I think. I always insist on the fact that I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, 
And that's what's key because mm. we hear from experts a lot. What yeah. we need to do is hear from a variety of people that live it and work it and people who try and couple up locomotives with uniforms that are too long for them or yeah. boots that don't fit. We, we need to have those conversations. We need to hear from the women that that still need to go and ask to use for a key to to use the toilet, mm. you know, and walk 10 minutes away in a, in a piece of We need to hear those stories and we need we need our kind of the leaders in our organisations to, to make that personal link and understand mm. that this isn't about making the, you know, the website look good or making the the pictures look good. This this is your your daughters, this is your, yeah. your granddaughters. They deserve to come in and and have the same chances. Mm. And um, and that's what I've learned that we've all got a part to play in that. And that until we hear those stories and until we make it more personal, we're never quite going to achieve it. So that's my hating diversity and inclusion, Nina, to, to the present day where clearly you can't yeah. get shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. We And we don't want you to shut up. And I think there's just, there's so much in there, Heather, that you've just shared with us. There's so much good stuff in there. Um, from kind of hearing that story about your mum and if my daughter wants to play football she'll damn well play football there's this kind of yeah there are no barriers let's take the barriers down so growing up in that kind of environment where anything is possible um I saw a fabulous image and I'm sure you will have seen it, it was shared far and wide yesterday after the lioness's amazing victory on Sunday night there was this tweet that was shared. No idea who the guy is. I just kept coming across it over and over again on my timeline of his telly in his front room. And there's one of the lionesses on there, on the telly, on the screen. Um, and his daughter, who's maybe, I don't know, two or three years old, in a princess dress, a bright pink princess dress, yeah. is looking at the screen. And the, the commentary on the tweet was that this isn't about football. This is about showing my daughter that she can be anything she wants to be. And that, for me, it still gives me goosebumps. And it's kind of, you use this great thing, it's whether it's a princess or a lioness Mm -hmm. or anything else. This is what we need to see in order for, for the next generations, never mind ours, to be able to know that we, nothing's impossible, actually. There are no limits. But you sometimes you've got to fight really hard to get where you want to get to. You had your mum there mm-hmm. as that as that person who kept telling you, yes, you can, Heather. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not everybody has that. You know, that the people people kind of get pigeonholed and get told you, you know, yes, you, you can be. Oh, gosh, so many of my friends were given the choice of secretarial school, teaching, or catering. Yep. That was you kind of depending on your your level of so-called intelligence. That's you chose one of those things when I was growing up. One of the things, one of the other things that you said, which has really resonated with me and kind of is linking so much to so many conversations I'm having at the minute, is around we've as women, we have unconsciously conformed and adapted. There are so many things. So when I read Invisible Women. There were so many things in there and other books where I thought I, that it never even occurred to me. Yep. That that happens every day. I've experienced it hundreds, perhaps thousands of times in my lifetime. It never occurred to me that that 
wasn't being made easy for me or it was more challenging for me because of my gender. So that unconscious conformity and adapting to the world is, I think, a really interesting point. It's, um, it, it, it really it blows my mind that, you know, we spend so much time talking about, you know, male allies and, and, and pushing men to, to do more for diversity and, and, and inclusion. And actually, so many women don't understand what it is. Mm. You know, I've spent my entire life wanting to be treated the same. That has been my goal in life. Yeah. You know, why, why should anything be adapted or changed? So to suit me, mm. I knew what the job was when I came in. I will bloody damn well do that job yeah. on those terms. And that's not equality. And and I, and I always remember, um, and, and again, it was one of Natasha's slides, and I'll steal it. It was a slide that basically showed, you know, a man, uh, a young girl, and somebody in a wheelchair, and they're trying to look over the fence to the, the horse racing or the football or whatever was on. Yeah. And the man could see the girl couldn't and obviously the wheelchair user certainly couldn't so they gave everybody the same size of box and they told them all to stand in the same size of box mm-hmm. so the man could see even better the the shorter girl still couldn't really see and the wheelchair user still couldn't see at all no. that's a quality that that's yeah. not being treated fairly no. but that's what being treated the same is and I suddenly realized that oh my god I'm actually contributing to the problem because I want to work in this environment that was never designed for me yeah you know and I'm wanting to make it work and as long mm. as women keep doing that and not actually raising the fact well do you know what it's not actually that we're asking you to change and adapt for us mm-hmm. it's the fact that you didn't actually consider us in the first place yeah. or anybody out with the norm exactly so yeah norm yeah. and um and, and it's why I'm so passionate that um you know, we talk about attracting and diverse people and you're never going to attract the kind of diverse people that you want if your policymakers don't reflect that. No. And and I would have exactly. never have thought that 10 years ago. I never thought it mm-hmm. five years ago. And I probably wouldn't have thought it until I went to join Freightliner, thought, what the hell am I doing? There is no women in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I saw an image of Debbie Francis on a locomotive yeah. And read that she was the managing director of direct rail services. Uh-huh. And in that moment, seeing a female director, I was like, all right, well, it can't be that bad. And as a frontline employee, I would have never have thought that a director would have that impact on me. Yeah. That that is what is needed, you know. Absolutely. You need your policymakers to reflect the people you want to attract, because you're never going to do it, you know. And I and I say it all the time, you know, I can't create a town centre that works for somebody visually impaired any better than than a man can create a railway that works equally well for women. We can all guess. We can have great guesses. Exactly. We We can do our best, can't we? We can do our best to kind of try to put ourselves in that person's shoes. But this is not our lived experience. We've got our own lived experience of what it's like to feel us. I remember I was so, so impressed. I was privileged enough through the National Rail Award judging thing that I'm involved with um I met um oh Maggie from Glasgow Queen Street station right yeah yeah oh my word what a, I'm trying to remember her surname and it's it's escaping me because I'm Hoy, one of us. yes yes Maggie yeah. Hoy and 
she was talking about what they'd done in terms of the there was, there was people who'd designed the infrastructure, designed this whiz bang station at Glasgow Queen Street. But it was Maggie's intervention by bringing in, for example, the um, the deaf school, bring people in who are in terms of their hearing, they are that they need to be they need an, more of an accessible environment. That how are we ever going to know what that feels like? You know, it it just isn't possible. You could perhaps, I guess, you know, put a blindfold on if you want to try and get that experience. But that's it's contrived. It's like we're doing it for an experiment. What yep. about somebody who lives with that every single day? Whether that's people, as you've you've mentioned already, if it's wheelchair users, if it's different, we all have different needs, and we clearly the railway can't account for every individual need, but we need to get so significantly better at recognizing. You know, you're, you're right. It's difference. not about it's not about getting perfect. It's about understanding why we're trying, and that's I think what I try to get across to people. You know look up from the computer screens and the spreadsheets every now and again mm. and, and look at the people that you're actually trying to improve what we're doing for, not just in the rail industry, but everywhere in life, you know, really understand why we're doing this. Bring the passion. Yeah. Bring the anger. Absolutely. And make it yeah. And, you know, Heather, that's one of the words that I think I've used more in my professional life since I joined the rail industry than I've ever used before, because what what I didn't realise when I set the business up nearly 10 years ago now to focus on the UK transport sector, I had no idea the passion that I would find in the people who work on the UK railway network. I've never, I've worked in loads of different industries, you know, in a proper job when I was in banking and then consultancy stuff, loads of different industry sectors. I have never met people with the level of passion for what they do as people in the railway family, it's incredible. And it's, I guess, being able to, to channel that in a direction, which again, another another word you've used before, it's, it's about education, educating ourselves, because I am definitely on a learning curve mm -hmm. in relation to understanding, even for myself, spotting when, you know, am I doing it right? Yep. Am I being am I in a situation where I could help someone else understand me better? Mm -hmm. um, can I understand other people better? And that whole kind of sense of belonging that um, that DDS talked about. And, and, you know, I know I know you've read read the book about belonging, about workplace belonging. And how do we make everybody feel like they do belong? They have been picked to join the team and they're not just some random other. Oh, we'll, we'll put up with you, but we don't really want to know anything about you or we don't want to help you in any way yep. so there's so much isn't there gosh there's there is there is so much um you've shared with me these kind of three things that have kind of come together to to encourage you and inspire you actually to mm -hmm. to put your head above the parapet and say yeah you know Somebody, somebody's got to do something <laughs> about this, so it may as well be me. So your voice is getting stronger and stronger in the industry. Um, you've got you've got international speaking events, haven't you? Not, not was it? COP twenty six was really impressive, Heather. But then you've recently done um, an international event, haven't you? Mm -hmm. a speaking event. 
So your voice is getting stronger, your voice is getting louder in terms of helping other people to understand what we need to do as human beings, actually, not as the rail industry, just as human beings. So this might be my next question to you. I'm going to ask it anyway, because it's the time-honoured Intuitive Insights magic wand moment. Because there's so many more things than three, but I've got three wishes for you for things that we could do which would make the rail industry a better place to work in? I think um, the first thing would be a brand. I think that we have quite possibly, if not the most unique, then one of the most unique industries anywhere anywhere in the world, you know, because the rail industry, the rail family, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you're railway, you're railway, Mm. and we we operate in similar ways. What other industry can you enter as a 17-year-old who doesn't know what what they want to do with their career and could stay in this industry, learn their ways, find out what they like, find out what they don't like. They could be an accountant. They could be an events manager. They could be a marketing manager. They could go into comms, they could be a train driver, an engineer, you name it. We have got the career here for mm-hmm. every young person. And, and they don't even need to know what they want to do when they come in. Yeah. You know, they don't, because we don't have the answers at 17. Very few people yeah. do. You can come into this industry and you can do anything. And we're also one of the very few industries that still reward good attitudes and hard work. You know, it's not just about your background. It's just it's not just about your qualifications. If you come in and you show willing, yeah, you can move from being a guard or a maintenance team and become a managing director. It's happened. It's happened in this industry. Yeah, the sky's the limit. How many other industries provide that, and yet we are still not attracting those people? Mm. We should be one of the first industries that youngsters look at, regardless of, of what their background is, regardless of their, 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 their sex or their, their, their culture. We should be the industry that, that is right up there as providing all of this, you know. And, yeah, you've got NHS places and, 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 and people like that, that that offer something like that. But, you know, we really do have excellent conditions. We've got good pay. Mm-hmm. Why are we not doing it? So somewhere along the line, our message and our brand needs to get stronger. We need to get out there. We need to unite. Um, And we are good at uniting. I know we're not in a great place at the moment, but we are really, really good at uniting. The people in this industry are so proud. Mm. They're so proud of our industry. Why are we not getting that message right? So that that would be my number one. I'm with you. Um, And the number two, following on for that, is um, if we get that brand right, and we get those people in, what are we going to do to keep them? Mm. Because we have got all these amazing, amazing things, but we're still not quite getting things right in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still not retaining the best people. Um, we're still not getting the diversity and inclusion right. Yeah. And and as long as we've still got leaders, and we still do have leaders who don't quite get it, that it's a bonus that, you know, it's about the bottom line and it's about this is what I need to achieve. And if you can make something like that look a bit better than you go away and do that. Mm-hmm. Until we bring that the other way around and we realise that actually creating a good, a great place to work comes first 
And then all the figures and all the statistics and all the achievements will follow that. We need to create the industry that actually keeps the people when they come. Mm. Um, and yes, you hear time and time again that people join and never leave, but we're also losing good people. Mm. And we can't. We, we need to get that right. So we get the brand right, get them in, keep them. Third thing, going to be a bit controversial and, um, and a bit blunt, a bit political even. You know, the last thing that, that our industry needs right now, quite frankly, is a pissing contest between the UK government and the unions. Yeah. Um, and, and somewhere along that, that needs to be resolved. And I don't pretend to know the sides of the arguments to this, Nina. I, I don't know who's what and what, and I don't know mm. what the answers are. But what I do get the sense of is that I get the feeling that the talks are almost, you know, hands tied behind the backs and that they're almost, you know, you know, powerless in this at the moment. And that's totally, totally unacceptable. We need we need our, our talks to, to get the control back and the power back that we need mm. to sort this. We, we had a, we had a dispute in Scotland um, and it's always disappointing to see any kind of dispute. But, you know, for all I'll not pretend that everybody's best friends and stuff, we do to get a lot of things right uh, in the way we run the railway in Scotland. And, you know, the Scottish government said, this is what we've got in the pot. Mm-hmm. There you go, ScotRail, do what you like. Add to it, take away from it but bloody sort it. Yes. And you know what? They did. Yeah. And I don't, again, know all the ins and outs of what what was achieved, but they were given the freedom to go away and sort it. And right now I get the sense that that some of these train companies are, are trying to do something with their hands tied behind their backs. Yeah. And when you see some fantastic companies like LNER, you know, one of the best companies for how they treat people, when they're getting pulled into stuff like this, you know there's something more political going on, yeah. you know, that that needs to be resolved. And, and to me, at my level, it, it seems to be just a, a, a bit of a pissing contest and we can't yeah. afford that and, and no. it needs to be resolved. I am so with you. I think the one of the big, big surprises, so a massive positive surprise when I came in to work with the railway was how passionate people were. I love that. One of the not so positive surprises was the impact of politics on this industry and how much the government, I'm going to use the word interferes, I'm sure some people will object to that and others will completely understand why I'm using it. Um, yes, we, we we rely on subsidy and therefore, you know, we kind of have a, a relationship to maintain with the Treasury as an industry, but this is not helping. So whoever, where, wherever the blockage is, when from my perspective, doing the job that I do, when I've been an evangelist for the rail industry for the last nearly 10 years, trying to encourage people into an industry where we really, we're not covering ourselves in glory at the minute in terms of how this is playing out um, is difficult. And then when when we kind of add on to that, that we are approaching a cliff edge in terms of a skills gap, um, never mind numbers of people that we're going to need as we as we move forward and different skills. How do we attract those people? How do we get them to come and join the industry? There will always be pioneers. There'll be people like you who want to do it because they want they, they're prepared to put themselves forward and be at the front of change and transformation. So absolutely, there are those people. There's not enough of them to do what we need to do. 
And if we haven't got enough people, we're not going to be able to give the level of service that the customers need. So will the customers stop coming? And then will the government say, well, hang on a minute, we're not invested in you because you're not making enough money. So there's too many dependencies in this. And there's, there's, there's kind of obviously lots of people working really, really hard. Um, and I know a number of them and you do who are working so hard to resolve this. But it just feels like where, where we're getting with this, well, what's going to happen? And in reality, you know, September time before we get a new leader into the um, into the government. So will it will it all remain a stalemate until then? Who knows? Who knows? But it's just it's very sad, and it, and it, it doesn't mean that people aren't entitled to you know to raise objections and, and and raise concerns. And that that's how you progress. You progress by you know fighting for better conditions, and 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 that's that's fine. It's just. I find it unbelievable how many companies are involved right now and that suggests to me, and I, I don't have the, the insight that, that the likes of yourself and other people does, but it, as a layman it, at my level, that strikes me as as people having their ties hand, hands tied behind yeah. their backs, too much interference. And, you know, we're, we're just at such a crossroads right now. As you said, the cliff edge is coming. We need to encourage people back in, um, passengers. We need to... We need the rail industry not to revert to being an industry that people don't want to be associated with. Mm. Um, going right back to the days when I had a chance of a full-time job with the railway yeah. or a part-time job with yeah. Royal Mail. We don't want to be going back to those days where you would do anything rather than coming into the yeah. rail industry. Um, we need to get away from that. We, we need to progress. And and even from my my I'm, I work, I'm rail freight, we are we are at the, the, the most you know, important stage probably um, than we've ever been. I think that the pandemic probably highlighted to people, possibly for the first time, just how important we are. Absolutely, you know, we were, yeah. You know, I remember at the, the darkest days of COVID, I had people applauding when I went through train <laughs> stations and, and villages. Yeah. And, you know, and that'll remain with me. It, people wow. suddenly realised what an important role we had. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, we are. We're, we're pivotal now to, to our recovery for the economy. We're absolutely vital to to the decarbonisation future that we're all wanting. And you know, it's not just about scaring passengers off. Mm. It's it's about scaring everybody off, scaring yeah. customers off. Yeah. One of the best things in my job is when I go alongside that motorway and I pass all those lorries and I tell you, I sit there so smug. Knowing that I've got eighty lorries and my yes. one train, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Still, I think, why are all these lorries there? They're we need still to there. get those yeah. lorries and get them on here. Yeah, we can't afford this. And and if people are playing political games, it's don't play it with our industry. No. Don't find somebody no. else to to ruin. We have got too much going on, too much good, too much positivity. You know, yeah. Let the people that know how to run this industry get on with running it. Let them resolve it. And just keep the hell out. <laughs> I could, I can't follow that. <laughs> I can't follow that at all. Brilliant. I love your three wishes, and they would be if I was giving myself three wishes, they would be pretty much the same as yours. Completely agree. We need to bring the conversation to a close because um, we've uh, we've kind of reached the, that that point 
where I'm going to ask you just to leave us, Heather, with a quote, please, that has kind of meant something to you that resonates with you in some way. So a pearl of wisdom to leave to leave us with before we finish the sure. podcast. Um, it, it's probably not the best timing given what we've just been talking about, but but leaving that that slightly negative aside, um, it's it's a quote that actually came from. Natasha Hansen and Debbie Francis when they were at direct rail services and it really, really resonates with me and it's um, simple, it's look after your people and they will look after your business. Yeah. And that says everything to me about how you succeed, that the, the loyalty you get back, the retention you get back, the going the extra mile that people give you when they feel inspired, when they feel valued is, is priceless. And, and you will see that in your profits. You will see that in your customer service. Mm. And, and just to leave you with this, you know, a few weeks ago, in fact, there was a couple of months ago, there was there was really bad disruption. I remember being in Edinburgh Waverley. I, I was going somewhere as a passenger. Really, really bad disruption. Now, in my past, the attitude of real staff, quite frankly, would be to hide. <laughs> Who the hell wants to be anywhere near that? Yeah. Do you know it was like being at Bloody Butlins, the amount of red coats of LNER staff that were out, that were visible, that were going looking for people to help. And that's what you get when you look after your people because LNER have got a long-standing history of doing the right thing by the people. And you get it back and your customers get it back. And and I, and I think I, I hope that I demonstrate what you get when you, you inspire somebody mm. because I have done nothing until the last three years. I've done my job. I've came in, I've done my job and I've gone home. And um, and I've done, I've tried to step up. Everything I've done in the last two or three years has been in my own time. Mm-hmm. I don't take time off for it. I want the message to be what's important. Yeah. And that's what you get when you inspire people and you look after them. So look after your people and they will look after your business. Brilliant. And it's definitely my own philosophy, so I can completely agree with that, Heather. Uh, Heather Wall, thank you so, so much for joining me. I've loved the conversation. There is so much more that I want to discuss with you and, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to that another time, I'm sure. But in the meantime, thank you so much for being such a fabulous guest today. I'm really grateful to you. Thanks so much, Nina. My huge thanks to Heather for sharing her own thoughts and insights so openly as I knew she would. I really appreciate you taking time 